This episode is brought to you by Symphony, a global software design and product development firm with presence in the United States, Latin America, and Europe. Almost every SaaS CEO with whom I'm familiar will likely agree that the technical due diligence process is perhaps the most important work stream for any prospective software CEO to get right. This is especially true for those like me who would classify themselves as non-technical. This is one of the reasons why I'm excited to partner with Symphony. Symphony not only performs technical due diligence engagements for search funds, private equity firms, and strategic acquirers, but they also work with companies to immediately begin executing on the problems and opportunities identified throughout the course of that process, as they do essentially everything related to product. This can include outsourcing your development entirely, augmenting your existing team, prototyping a new product, refreshing your UI, or professionalizing your QA operation, to name just a few. Symphony was co-founded by a Stanford GSB grad in 2007 and now has over 700 full-time development, product, and design resources across the globe, in addition to business and strategic resources from McKinsey, BCG, Google, and several private equity firms. For listeners of In the Trenches, Symphony is offering a full 15% off of any of their services, and that includes the technical due diligence engagements. Just go to the contact form on their website and tell them that you're a listener of the podcast. It's lastly worth noting that their team is fully staffed and ready to go. So if you have a technical due diligence or other product engagement that's time sensitive, it's definitely worth checking them out at symphony.is. That's symphony.is. Like many of you, I'm sure, I am a total sucker for a good quote. The best quotes often distill a lifetime of wisdom into only a few words, which is likely why some of them continue to resonate for decades, and in some instances, even centuries, after first being articulated. Over the years, I've compiled quotes from countless books, mentors, podcasts, and blogs, and in each instance, the quote represents an idea that I believe to be fundamentally true. In the audio blog that follows, I present this collection of quotes to you in hopes that some of them impact you as much as they've impacted me. Most importantly, I'm proud to finally be able to tell my wife that all of those years of highlighting books in bed have finally led to a tangible piece of output. To the extent that you enjoy the format of today's episode, know that I deserve absolutely none of the credit. My inspiration for publishing this post came after listening to a recent episode of the Morgan Housel podcast, which I enthusiastically recommend that you check out, during which he presented his listeners with a collection of quotes that were particularly meaningful to him. So any credit for what you enjoy can go to him, and any blame for what you do not enjoy can be directed squarely towards me. I've done my best to attribute each quote to its original source, but it is a virtual certainty that I've made many errors and omissions in the process. In any case, I hope you enjoy these and know that each of these quotes aren't necessarily related to the other one. So we're going to be bouncing all over the place today. Okay, let's start with business-oriented quotes. To the man with only a hammer, every problem looks pretty much like a nail. That's from Charlie Munger. The biggest myth about entrepreneurs is that they are born risk takers. Entrepreneurs aren't risk takers, they are risk mitigators. 
Indeed, they often decide to pursue an entrepreneurial endeavor because they see opportunity for an outsized reward relative to the risk that they're taking in pursuit of that reward. If you can't explain a given topic to your grandmother, chances are you don't truly understand the topic yourself. A problem well stated is a problem half solved. When making major decisions, be a fast no and a slow yes. This isn't a direct quote, but the idea was taken from actor Matthew McConaughey. It's amazing what a group of people can accomplish when nobody cares who gets the credit. Imposter syndrome is often just a byproduct of ambition. So instead of resisting it, embrace it as a sign that you're pushing towards your highest and best self. If you treat people like adults, they'll generally tend to act like adults. If you treat people like children, they'll generally tend to act like children. Read last year's forecasts before you take next year's forecast too seriously. That one is from Morgan Housel. Every successful business is a loosely functioning disaster. That is from Brent Bishore. If every conference, panel, or CEO roundtable forced all of their attendees to drink a truth serum immediately before the event started, the likely result is that most attendees would leave the event feeling comforted and supported, not inferior and self-conscious. The sum of the hours that you spend working is not a proxy for your levels of commitment or ambition. You're not going to get rich renting out your time. You must own equity, a piece of a business, to gain your financial freedom. That one is from Naval Ravikant. If you regularly have the Sunday scaries, you are in the wrong line of work. Every job looks easy when you're not the one doing it. That's from Jeff Immelt, the former CEO of General Electric. We often arrive at home at the end of the day in a tired and emotionally depleted state. The patience, thoughtfulness, and engagement that we strived to achieve at work often doesn't seem to follow us home. In this way, the people who are most important to us regularly get the worst of us. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. That is from Theodore Roosevelt. The world is too complex for 100% of your actions to dictate 100% of your outcomes. That one is also from Morgan Housel. The ability to quickly identify and rectify bad hires is arguably as important as the ability to make good ones. Regret almost never results from trying and failing. Instead, it often results from never having tried at all. Big lessons sometimes require big tuition payments. Organize your time according to this simple framework. One, things I have to do. Two, things I want to do. And three, things other people want me to do.
simply being aware of this is likely to minimize the amount of time that you spend in category number three. Now, this is not a direct quote, but the framework was adopted from Shane Parrish, who is the host of a podcast called The Knowledge Project. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. That's from Stephen Covey. Life, in part, is like a poker game, wherein you have to learn to quit sometimes when holding a much-loved hand. You must learn to handle new facts that change the odds. That one's from Charlie Munger. A CEO strategy is only as good as her ability to communicate it. A company's culture is a macrocosm of the CEO's psychology. That one's from David Sachs. Not everything that is important needs to be quantified, and not everything that can be quantified is important. The biggest temptation of a software CEO is to throw bodies, specifically engineers, at problems. Nobody knows what it's like to be an entrepreneur or CEO unless you have been one. Winning has a price. Leadership has a price. That one is from Michael Jordan. A CEO's ability to manage her own psychology is at least important as, if not more important than, her ability to manage her business. You think buying a business is hard? Try running one. You think running a business is hard? Try selling one. Setting too many goals is one of the primary reasons why most companies find themselves achieving none of them. Work expands so as to fill the time available for its completion. See Northcote Parkinson. We overestimate what we can accomplish in a day and underestimate what we can accomplish in a year. You can make Excel say anything that you want it to say. In certain circumstances, jobs, or stages of one's career, there likely are high returns to playing the brute force game, which is a singular focus characterized by unsustainably high levels of imbalance, hours worked, or sacrifices made. There are, however, an equal number of circumstances, jobs, and stages of one's career where there are not only diminishing marginal returns to brute force, but in many instances the correlation might actually be negative. In instances like these, a clarity of thought game is being played. Most problems are experienced when A, one doesn't recognize which of the two games they're playing, or B, one takes advice from, or compares themselves to, somebody who is playing a different game from them. This episode is brought to you by Oberly Risk Strategies. Now, some of you likely know Oberly is the insurance brokerage and insurance diligence provider for the search fund community and has been trusted by search investors, lenders, searchers, and CEOs for over a decade now. The company is led by August Felker, himself a two-time successful searcher, both within the funded and self-funded models. He personally runs Oberly's dedicated search fund practice that works with searchers across the entire diligence, purchase, and post-close process. Their due diligence offering, which is 100% free of charge, by the way, will assess the pros and cons of your target company's insurance program and will summarize any potential coverage gaps, the pro forma insurance pricing, and the program structure changes needed for closing. At or shortly after closing, they will then execute on all of those findings on your behalf. In nine out of every 10 client engagements, they're able to either reduce spend or improve coverage all in such a way that the searcher or CEO can focus on other things while Oberly handles all things insurance for them. 
Oberly has serviced over 900 customers across a decade of operation and has an NPS score that puts them at the top of their industry. But don't take my word for it. Click on the hyperlink located within the show notes or in today's episode description, and we will gladly put you in touch with as many happy Oberly customers as you'd like. Okay, let's move on to some personal quotes. These ones don't necessarily have anything to do with business. Enlightenment is the space between your thoughts. That one is from Eckhart Tolle. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Your superpower very often sits right beside your biggest wound. That one's from Tim Ferriss. When the student is ready, the teacher appears. The root of most interpersonal problems can be traced to the difference between agreements and expectations. Life is what happens to you when you're busy making other plans. Insecurity is loud. Confidence is quiet. Vulnerability is often one of the traits that we most appreciate when it's being demonstrated by others. Yet, paradoxically, it's the trait that we least often demonstrate when we deal with others ourselves. These next two quotes are very much related to each other. No virtue is free, and everything has a price. Happiness equals reality minus expectations. The days are long and the years are short. If your best friend were to ask you how she could live a better life, you would probably find many useful things to say, and yet you might not live that way yourself. On one level, wisdom is nothing more profound than an ability to follow one's own advice. This next one's a bit longer, but it's a great one. Develop a taste for having problems. Behind our urge to race through every obstacle or challenge in an effort to get it dealt with, there's usually the unspoken fantasy that you might one day finally reach the state of having no problems whatsoever. As a result, most of us treat the problems that we encounter as doubly problematic, First, because of whatever specific problem we're facing, and second, because we seem to believe, if only subconsciously, that we shouldn't have any problems at all. Yet the state of having no problems is obviously never going to arrive. And more to the point, you wouldn't want it to, because a life devoid of all problems would contain nothing worth doing and would therefore be meaningless. Because what is a problem, really? The most generic definition is simply that it's something that demands you address yourself to it. And if life contained no such demands, there'd be no point in anything. Once you give up on the unattainable goal of eradicating all your problems, it becomes possible to develop an appreciation for the fact that life just is a process of engaging with problem after problem, giving each one the time that it requires. That the presence of problems in your life, in other words, isn't an impediment to a meaningful existence, but the very substance of one. That one is from Oliver Berkman, author of one of my favorite books of all time called 4,000 Weeks. You don't usually burn bridges by what you do. You often burn bridges by how you do it. Some lessons have to be experienced before they can be understood. It's amazing how much more critical we are of ourselves than we would be of a loved one in an identical situation. If it's so logical and intuitive to treat others with empathy and understanding, why isn't it equally logical and intuitive to treat ourselves in the same way? 
how much better would the world be if we all simply followed the very same advice that we regularly give to our children? One of the biggest causes of misery is the way we chronically compare our insides with other people's outsides. We're all energetically projecting an image of calm proficiency, while inside we're improvising in a mad panic. Yet we forget that everybody else is doing the same thing. The only difference is that they think it is you who is truly competent. That one again is from Oliver Berkman. Never forget how wildly capable you are. A lot of people seem to have a necessary level of stress, and when their life is going well, they make up imaginary problems to fill the void. That one is also from Morgan Housel. All the greatest blessings are a source of anxiety, and at no time is fortune less wisely trusted than when it is best. To maintain prosperity, there is need of other prosperity, and in behalf of the prayers that have turned out well, we must make still other prayers. For everything that comes to us from chance is unstable, and the higher it rises, the more liable it is to fall. Very wretched, therefore, and not merely short, must the life of those who work hard to gain what they must work harder to keep. By great toil they attain what they wish, and with anxiety hold what they have attained. Meanwhile, they take no account of time that will never more return. New engrossments take the place of the old. Hope leads to new hope, ambition to new ambition. They do not seek an end to their wretchedness, but change the cause. That one is from the philosopher Seneca. It is quite impossible to unite happiness with a yearning for what we don't yet have. That one is from the philosopher Epictetus. We suffer more in imagination than we do in reality. That one is also from Seneca. No person would give up even an inch of their estate, yet we easily let others encroach upon our lives. No person hands out their money to passers-by, but to how many do each of us hand out our lives? We are tight-fisted with property and money, yet think too little of wasting time, the one thing about which we should all be the toughest misers. That one again from Seneca. And the last one from Seneca. You live as if you were destined to live forever. No thought of your frailty ever enters your head. Of how much time has already gone, you take no heed. You squander time as if you drew from a full and abundant supply, though all the while that day which you bestow on some other person or thing is perhaps your last. You have all of the fears of mortals and all of the desires of immortals. I love that line. You will hear many men saying, after my 50th year, I shall retire into leisure. My 60th year shall release me from public duties. In what guarantee, pray, have you that your life will last longer? Comparison is the thief of joy. That one also from Theodore Roosevelt. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That is called the serenity prayer. These next three quotes are very closely related to each other. The journey is always far more important than the destination. The road is always better than the inn. That's from Cervantes. And finally, to travel hopefully is better than to arrive. That one is from Robert Louis Stevenson. Health brings a freedom very few realize until they no longer have it. That's from Bronnie Ware. 
you become the average of the five people with whom you spend the most time. What man actually needs is not a tensionless state, but rather the striving and struggling for a worthwhile goal, a freely chosen task. What he needs is not the discharge of tension at any cost, but the call of a potential meaning waiting to be fulfilled by him. That's from Viktor Frankl. It's never the wrong time to do the right thing. One day, I realized with all these people I was jealous of, I couldn't just choose little aspects of their life. I couldn't say, I want his body, I want her money, I want his personality. You have to be that person. Do you actually want to be that person with all of their reactions, desires, their family, their happiness level, their outlook on life, their self-image? If you're not willing to do a wholesale, 24-7, 100% swap with who that person is, then there's no point in being jealous. That one is from Naval Ravikant. If you tell the truth, you don't have to remember your lies. That's from Charlie Munger. This too shall pass. Now, the actor Tom Hanks recently had a great elaboration on this quote when he said, I wish I had known that this too shall pass. You feel bad right now? You feel pissed off? You feel angry? This too shall pass. You feel great? You feel like you know all the answers? You feel like everybody finally gets you? This too shall pass. Time is your ally, and if nothing else, just wait. Just wait it out. And lastly, number 75. There are an infinite number of ways to achieve any given goal. When choosing how you're going to achieve your own goals, do things that make you feel more like you. If your goal is to lose weight, some might suggest that going to the gym seven days a week is unsustainable. However, for some personality types, it is actually much easier to go to the gym 100% of the time than it is to go 75% of the time. Whichever option feels more like you, choose it and stop listening to others who suggest the options that make them feel more like them. That's the end of today's episode. I hope you enjoyed these quotes. And again, to the extent that you did, Morgan Housel deserves the credit.